I want to welcome you to day five of our look through John 19 in daily drive time devotions. We're going to look at verses 31 to 42 today. We're going to look at the three last pictures of what Jesus did for us on that day that he died. Jesus is dead, but the pictures of his life continue. Picture 13 in this series of pictures, the picture of a spear in his side. John 19, 31 to 37. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. This is John writing. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies, so that you also may believe. Verse 36 says, These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And as another scripture says, They will look on the one they have pierced. This all happens on the day of preparation for the Passover. That's what the day of preparation means at the beginning. And they didn't want the bodies there the next day, a day of celebration, a day of special Passover for them. And so, and so they asked that the criminals would be quickly killed. Now, many on first reading this asked what, what it means for the legs to be broken. How would that help for the people to die more quickly? Well, a death on a cross was a death by suffocation, suffocation and exposure. And if a person's legs were unbroken, they would be able to push their legs up upon the cross so that they would get some relief in the chest muscles that would constrict with your arms stretched out on the cross. With the legs broken, they were no longer able to do that, and very quickly they would die of suffocation. Jesus had already died. Now, why did he die before the two others? Because, as we said yesterday, he gave up his life. So when they came and found that he was already dead, apparently to make doubly sure of his death, the, the legionnaire, the Roman soldier, drove his lance through the fifth interspace between the ribs upward through the pericardium and the heart. And as he did that, blood and water came out. Now that blood and water show us two things. First, they show us that Jesus really died. The fact that he put a spear all the way into his heart. Anyone who says that Jesus swooned on the cross or didn't actually die not only did, that, did he give up his life, he was also speared into his heart. But this blood and water also show us another thing, according to most doctors, most physicians. They show us that Jesus died, Jesus literally died of a broken heart. The fact that blood and water came, came out, as doctors write about this, they talk about the fact that it shows that his heart had literally burst. And that's what would create the blood and water in that portion of his body. He died of a broken heart. As our sins came upon him, as my sins came upon him, as your sins came upon him, as he gave his life for us, his heart was broken for us. So that when you and I look at the cross, we don't see a place of torture. We don't even see a place primarily of death. When you and I look at the cross, we see love. We see obedience. We see God. As we think about the cross, Remember, the Bible tells us not just simply to contemplate the cross, but to take up the cross. The truth of what Jesus did for you should be a part of your everyday life. To take up the cross doesn't mean that you're to die on a cross of crucifixion like Jesus. It means that you're to recognize what he did for you in everyday life. 
and to live the kind of life that he's given you to live. Picture number 14 in John 19 is the picture of two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, unlikely men to be there at the cross. John 19, 38 and 39. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. These two men who come to bury Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea was a town about five miles north of Jerusalem. And Mark tells us that this Joseph was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the council that had condemned Jesus to die. Luke tells us that Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a man with a heart towards God's kingdom, not his own selfishness, but God's kingdom. Nicodemus, Nicodemus who talked with Jesus about being born again in John chapter 3, he joins him. He was also a part of this ruling council, the, the Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus. Now, we don't get any insight in the Bible into what they were thinking or what they said at that council that condemned him. We can only guess as to whether they fought the decision. But obviously, there were at least two men in this group who weren't focused selfishly on their own position, but they were focused on the things of God. They were searching for God's kingdom. And here they see that Jesus has been mistreated, and they're going to be sure that he gets a burial. I, I, I just want to note as an aside here, I, I've talked to Jewish friends sometimes who are concerned that Christians somehow see Jews as the villains of the story of the crucifixion. And, and I try to explain to them, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, the, the, there, there are, are some Jewish people in this story who did condemn Jesus to be crucified. But there are also Jewish people in this story who took him tenderly from the cross and put him in his grave. There are also Jewish people in this story, his mother and the women who were with him and his disciple, John, who stood at the foot of the cross and worshiped him in that moment. There's also a Jewish man in this story by the name of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. The idea that somehow Christians think Jews are the enemies in this story is a totally false idea. I praise God for Jewish people. Today and in history and on this day when Jesus died, I thank God for Joseph and for Nicodemus who had the courage who had the courage to come and take him from the cross and put him in a tomb, knowing they might lose their position for doing just that. So that leads us to picture 15, the last picture in this chapter. John 19, verses 40 to 42. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now we learn in one of the other Gospels that it was Joseph's tomb, his family tomb. It had never been used, and they uses it first for Jesus Christ. And this is where the chapter ends. Jesus in this cool, dark tomb. But this is not where the story ends. All that's being done in John chapter 19 is not in conclusion, but it is in anticipation. I'll never forget, as a, as a teenager, brand new Christian, I'd just been a Christian a few months, we went to a play called Godspell in San Francisco with some friends. I went with several Christians who'd been believers for quite some time. And if you've seen the play, you know that it ends with Jesus' crucifixion. There's no resurrection scene. So the play ends. We'd never seen it. It was a brand new play. 
and, and, and the curtain closes. And one of my friends, Peggy, says, so that the whole audience can hear, they left him in the grave? Where's the story? You see, the story of Jesus Christ is not a story of a martyr who gave his life for us. It's the story of a Savior who died for you on the cross and is going to be resurrected in three days. That's what these pictures look forward to as you look through John chapter 19. And as you see the pictures in that way, they are awe-inspiring pictures. But in some ways, they're almost too big. They're almost too big to fit into life. And so as we end this look at John chapter 19, I'd like to ask you in a spirit of prayer, how does this series of awe-inspiring pictures of what happened at the cross fit into your ordinary, often routine, daily life? What should I picture? What should you picture in our lives today because of what Jesus did at the cross? Well, picture this. Picture victory over sin and temptation. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old life died with Christ on the cross so that our sinful selves would have no power over us and we would not be slaves to sin. Where's the power to say no to temptation? It's at the cross. Picture this in your daily life. Picture God's power as a part of your everyday life. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What should you picture because of the cross in your daily life? Picture yourself as a person of incredible faith. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What should you and I picture because of the cross? Picture a change in that which is most important to you. Galatians 6.14, as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of this world was killed long ago, and the world's interest in me is also long dead. It changes what's important. And what do I picture because of the cross? Picture victory over sin and temptation, God's power in your everyday life, incredible faith in your life, a change in what's important. What, what should I picture? I should picture forgiveness. Picture yourself forgiven and pure in God's sight. Colossians 2.15 in this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross, where your sins were all taken away. As we come to the conclusion of John 19, those are the pictures that we have in our hearts of what God has done for us on the cross. And next week, I can't imagine anyone listening to John 19 and then not listening to John 20, because that is where the story is really completed. That's where the story of life and God's life for you and me is completed. Join us next week for Drive Time Devotions as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 